So our movie this week is Trading Places, released June 8th, 1983, rated R, and directed by John Landis. You may, of course, know John Landis for his previous films, Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House, and The Blues Brothers, all, all which he made prior to Trading Places. This film stars Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Amici, Ralph Bellamy, and Denholm Elliott. Uh, with cameos by the great Frank Oz, who repeats the role that he played in the Blues Brothers as the uh, discharging cop. Uh, in this case, he's the, he's an uh, taking intake uh, police officer, but he opens with the same line, you know, one gold watch. Uh, and uh, James Belushi, Bo Diddley, Nicholas Guest, whom. Uh, Alert listeners will remember as the fellow who played Todd in Christmas Vacation and Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo Esposito is, of course, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, who's a cellmate in Trading Places. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Uh, The box office for this film, a healthy $90.4 million. And uh, this film was Eddie Murphy's second Big, big film. Uh, 48 hours had been filmed, but not yet released when this was, uh, when this was, uh, made. Uh, it, uh, has led to, it had starred multiple SNL alumni, not only of course, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, but Al Franken, uh, and, uh, and his uh, co-writer Tom Davis were also, they play the, uh, the, uh, baggage handlers at the end of the film. Uh, and Senator then, uh, Al Franken, Senator Al Franken of Minnesota, of course. And, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had only been in slasher flicks prior to this film, uh, Halloween, Halloween two, the fog and prom night. So she was a bit of a risk, uh, and she got paid really not a lot of money to be in this film. Uh, she plays, of course. A uh, a prostitute uh, named Ophelia, and uh, and always seems to be laughing, and always seems to be smiling in this film, and joyful, uh, and so. But she has some range when she takes on the role of Inga from Sweden. <laughs> Inga from Sweden. There's an interesting story why she's Inga from Sweden. It's because she couldn't actually perform an Austrian accent. And so that was a little bit of ad lib on the set. It wasn't in the scene that she ad libbed it. Like they actually kind of figured that out before they went to film it. Right. But but yeah, it's great. Uh, This is actually, this film also is a Christmas Eve classic in the nation of Italy. Since 1997, it has aired on one of the Italian television stations and it has drawn every year a 10 or greater share, meaning 10% of the households watching television on Christmas Eve wow. are watching That's trading places. Amazing. It is, features one of the worst versions of Santa you'll ever see. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the idea of Santa actually shoving uh, a whole smoked salmon into his Yeah, into his It's fine for him to take the salmon. It's not good for him to eat it through through the fake, <laughs> through the fake beard. beard. Yeah. Yuck. That's yeah. a memorable scene. Well, what are your thoughts of this uh, film, Bill? Well, I want to think back on what makes this a movie I still want to watch. I mean, it's really kind of outdated. Um, and Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy have had their heyday. This was right in the middle of Eddie Murphy, like you said. Just uh, getting started. Just really. getting started. Yeah. Really a movie star. Really a success on Saturday Night Live. But I think everyone... I think the appeal of this is everyone who's an arrogant aristocrat (laughs) believes they are bred for success and have earned everything. And everyone else who thinks they could do just as well or better given the chance 
and that they would never act the same way. But this one's fun to watch because both people fail miserably at that. <laughs> Winthrop turns quickly to crime when he loses his job, home, and super rich fiance. And Billy Ray quickly takes on the airs of a snob when he asks, haven't you people heard of coasters? And who's putting out their cools on my floor at his very first house party? I personally remember watching this movie over and over during our Christmas breaks with my brothers on the VHS, and we would quote it throughout the entire holiday. <laughs> Still warms my heart. Yeah. I And I do really like how they make old money aristocrats look so ridiculous. Nobody has ever played a better super arrogant clownish rich guy than Dan Aykroyd in this film. Yeah. And for all their faults, Randolph and Mortimer are played by... Uh, Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy. Yes, Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy. For all their faults, they seem to actually know how to live with all that money. It's yeah. pretty interesting. They're they're like the right kind of rich old guy, whereas Dan Aykroyd is clearly the wannabe and thinks he's already there. The nouveau riche kind of... Yeah, so everybody thing. loves to laugh at these people. Yeah. Um, you know... I, you know, just jumping right into the usable quotes or the, the rich guy quotes. Yeah. Uh, you know, things Don Amici says to people are awful. Like someone's walking out and Eddie Murphy says, hey, do you have any money? He's like, I have no money to give to you. Like right. the emphasis of just super arrogant rich guy or when he's trying to lure Eddie in, he thinks – because he's an African-American that he's going to get him with whiskey. And he shakes the bottle of whiskey and says, whiskey, all you want. Like just the out-of-touchness of uh, Randolph and Mortimer. Although, honestly, it's really primarily on Don Amici's character. I mean, because Ralph Bellamy's character, and I honestly, I can't keep them straight, which one's Mortimer and which one's Randolph. Uh, Ralph Bellamy is Mortimer. Okay, so, so Randolph then really is the one who's more out of touch. And this could be, of course, because I think Mortimer is trying to, you know, make his point and win the bet, but he seems to be slightly more attuned to the, um, to the, the actual situation of, well, of, he gets it. And he, he's yeah. famously reading some scientific article. Right. About, and, and arguing with it the whole time, right. about nature versus nurture, nature versus nurture, which right. undergirds the whole idea of the film. Right. What we really like is the rich guy becoming poor and then, you know, no spoilers here, 30 something years later, right? Uh, all of them become poor. It's kind of fun. Yeah. But, uh, you know, usable quotes, where are you at with your favorite usable quotes? Some of my favorites include uh, on the train. Uh, so, you know, when, um, Billy Ray comes in dressed as the, as you know, the, the, um, African, you know, from Cameroon, from Cameroon, the, the, uh, exchange student. And he says, Merry New Year. And, uh, Beeks, uh, who, gosh, he's such a jerk the entire, he's like, that's happy in this country. We say happy new year. Ho ho. Thank you for correcting my English, which stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself ready to use that at a moment's notice. I have a f- dear friend and we Every single year, say Merry New Year to each other, right at the stroke of 12. If you don't, is it really a new year? Right. It's a yeah. super usable one. Yeah. Merry New Year. Exactly. Um, I, You know, I like those those quotes, and that, that's fun. And it, they're hard, unless you really know the people or the movie, to really throw some of those in. Like, I'm Inga from Sweden. Right. And... Uh, Beef jerky time. and <laughs> Although, honestly, I could see using beef jerky time all right, the time. <laughs> right. No more of your jerky beef. 
But uh, I, you know, the quotes that I levitate to or gravitate to, I'm not levitating here, although that would be a fun show. Um, are the rich guy it really quotes, makes for some compelling audio? I got to say that you know, there's one kind of diatribe where Lewis is having his falling apart with the pawnbroker that I really like. It's played a good, by Bo Diddley. By it's the way. a good back and forth, and it does feature Bo Diddley, and he's trying to hawk his very expensive watch that, because he's down to nothing. All of his friends have abandoned him. His fiance has dumped him. Everything's gone wrong with him, and so the pawnbroker says, "Ooh, burnt my fingers." And he says, I beg your pardon. Man, that watch is so hot, it's smoking. <laughs> hot, do you imply to mean stolen? I'll give you 50 bucks for it. 50 bucks? No, no, no. This is the Rochefort, the finest water-resistant watch in the world. This is the sports watch of the 80s, $6,950 retail. You got a receipt? And he said, and then he continues on. It tells time simultaneously in Monte Carlo, Beverly Hills, London, Paris, Rome, and Stad. In Philadelphia, it's worth fifty bucks. <laughs> and the in Philadelphia, it's worth fifty bucks is a timeless classic <laughs> at our house. I um, can see where that, yeah, because you can use it to apply to anything that is being oversold. Anything is being oversold or try to be valued by a friend. You're saying in Philadelphia, it's worth fifty bucks. <laughs> I just enjoy it. And plus, it's Bo Diddley. You don't get a lot of Bo Diddley in a movie. No, you really don't. I love it. You don't know Bo. <laughs> um, I love as Lewis and uh, and Billy Ray are approaching um, the World Trade Center commodity floor. And they're, they're just getting out of their taxi. And Lewis is giving the speech. Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low. Sell high. Fear. That's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced will prepare you for the absolute carnage you are about to witness. Right there, that line is just the perfect line. Nothing will prepare you for the absolute carnage you are about to witness. Which just sounds like a great lead-in for any movie. Right. Or anything that uh, – and, and honestly, they really did film on – the, the commodities trading floor, yeah. uh, which sadly, of course, no longer exists because it was located inside the World Trade Center. The Super Bowl, the World Series, ha, they don't even know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans and the next, boom, your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? <laughs> Let's kill them. And then he's, you know, yeah. puts in Let's a- kill the mother. We've got to kill them. Yeah. yeah, it's good that Billy Ray is always catching himself when he's going back to his right. street language and right. jumping right back in. Um, you know, one of the funny little things that we say a lot between again, it's probably probably nobody else watches this movie, but my brothers and I. I think more people should, frankly, because I I do think you know I, I want to go before you get to that. I want to mention. This movie is certainly a product of its time. I mean, it's early 80s, you know, filmed in, in 82, released in 83. But it it's important because I think it actually orients you to the idea of the age of, of greed that was taking oh, absolutely. place. This is, you know, the – the Reaganomics is already kind of, you know, underway and the, the stock market, everybody who was involved was going up, up, up. And so. And everybody's watching a monitor for pork bellies. Exactly right. So this really does um, capture an age. I don't think, I, I think it's actually aged okay. It has, um, 
a bald, you know, kind of race relations thing going on in there. And they're not afraid to drop the N word, right. you know, um, at a key moment in the story. Again, it's 35 years old, so I, right. there's no spoiler alerts here. But, um, you know, they drop that. And, and I think it reflects an accuracy to the time that to us is shocking. But for that should be something that more people should see. Um, it's, well, and there is the part where, and it, it, it shows the clownish buffoonery of Winthorpe when he's thinks he's the whole thing was a dream. And it was all because of a terrible, awful person. Yeah. And they, they use this other word and it's like, you know, just like nails on a chalkboard to hear that even then a little bit. Right. But it just showed kind of his Archie bunkerness, you know, the high scale Archie bunker. Yeah. The other thing that I, I wanted to say about this too is, you mentioned this is right at the beginning of Eddie Murphy and it's um, of kind of his beginning of his great arc of, you know, but it's fascinating because here we capture him not being the um, hamming, hamming it up for the camera. We capture him with the intelligence of his humor because he's not overmatched in this movie at all. He is clearly in on, on the scheme. Uh, you know, uh, he's pulling a scheme from, from the first moments. Right. You know, I, I didn't write the quote down, but when the, when the cops kind of bust him, cause he's playing a, a blind guy on a, on a, you know, on a creeper, you know, kind of, uh, with no legs. And then they pick him up and he's like, Oh my gosh, I, I have legs. <laughs> I can, I can see, see. Yeah. you know, and he's, um, so, <laughs> you know, and then of course he's like, well, what am I going to do now? As he's kind of walking off, you know, I've, and I've I do love the scam. quotes in the jail scene where he's oh. faking, being this really tough pimp and right. And he's right. like, but you wouldn't know that cause you're a very white looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fella, exactly. Um, this is also, this movie also is Aykroyd's first kind of non comedy film where he's not, I mean, it's clearly a comedy, but he's playing relatively straight. His, his role here is to be that over the top rich guy, but he's not a buffoonish, you know, right. And there, and he has some falling down and some redempt, a lot of redemptive qualities in right. him later in the movie, but up front, they build him up to such a big crash. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and as the things are starting to peel away, he sees Eddie Murphy wearing his Harvard tie and he says, and he was wearing my Harvard tie, my Harvard tie. Like, Oh sure. He went to Harvard. Like he went to Harvard. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, Another great capture of like the nonsense of this level of society, one would think. They're at the tennis club and the four guys are singing a song together. Oh. Like it's just like the Wiffle Puffs or whatever from right. Whist- the Yaleys. Yeah, Whiff and Poofs. Whiff and Poofs or whatever. One of the things in that scene is all of a sudden you cut in and the, the woman says, and she stepped on the ball and my brothers and I say that all the time, like it's some stupid joke because they they all do like a polite, hilarious, rich guy laugh at it. Right. Golf golf clap laugh. Go like, oh. and I was watching Billions this season and they make another reference to this where the guy, the father says, and they stepped on the ball and everybody laughs at the club. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're copying trading places. And so I do some Googling on this. It's my internet research section. <laughs> and it's actually an homage to Auntie Mame, where there's this long drawn out story by the societal girl that's just an 
awfully boring story that she expects everybody to laugh at because she's at a position in society. Right. And I did, I had no idea until I saw this brought up again and I wound up doing a tiny bit of research, <laughs> but it, I think it's hilarious that this just carries through. Like anytime you say, and you stepped on the ball, that's, you're making, that's the and scene. Yeah. And you're like, you're insulting the people who would say like the most boring thing that should be laughed at. It's like, having to listen to your vice president make stupid jokes about things. Yeah. And you're like, oh, anyway, you know what, you know what I'm aiming for there. I do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, good rich guy quotes. And one other quote that I really liked, again, this shows a little bit of Billy Ray Valentine jumping right on, putting on the airs that I find usable all the time. He's walking out there kicking everybody out of his house after they haven't used the coasters, party, right, right? This right. is a guy who was just rolling around on the ground hours before this. Right. And he says, and be quiet out there. My neighbors are asleep. They work too. <laughs> which, which I've literally used several times when leaving someone's house in a nice neighborhood. Right. Hey, be quiet out there. My neighbors work too. <laughs> it's always kind of a fun one to use. And, and you'll find yourself a good connection there. People actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, Bill, I think this is a great film worth watching. Do you have any, any more quotes that we need to share on our way out? I, uh, this, now this is a throwaway one and this is Bill trying to get every word of the movie in, but it's a reference that I've used for mm, 25 years now. There's a scene where Penelope's fiance is waiting for him to come out of jail. And there's a guy who clearly looks like some sort of awful perpetrator. And he's like slumped up against her. And he turns his head and looks at her and says, is that your purse? That's a nice purse. Like, <laughs> and when he turns away, she sprays some disinfectant on him. <laughs> right. But I, I don't know why I find that so funny, <laughs> but it's just whenever somebody has an overly nice handbag, it's kind of a fun one to use. Is that your, but you got to lisp the S a little right, bit. Is of that course. your purse? That's a nice purse. <laughs> Um, just so like why this guy who looks like he's just been thrown in jail or just out of jail or always in jail would be making a comment about someone's nice purse. I like it. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, the sign off quote is as rich folks would say, looking good, Ken feeling good, Bill. <laughs> <laughs>